0: So I just share with you that I'm like literally jumping out of my skin. I've been waiting to get here all weekend uh, because I have something really great to share. I'm going to introduce all of you today, if you don't know anything about it, to the public reading of Scripture. You're probably thinking, what in the world is that? You'll find out in a few minutes. But I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. If you're new today, we're so glad you're here. If you haven't been here in a while, we're glad you're back. Uh, Basically, we teach through the Bible. We're teaching through the Gospel of John, a chapter a week. But we're slowing down in John chapter 6 for two reasons. Number one, there's 71 verses. Number two, it's the only miracle that Jesus ever performed that's recorded by all four Gospel writers. That's pretty important, right? John said that he selected seven signs that you might know Jesus is the Son of God and have life in his name. So six of his signs are peculiar to John's Gospel. This one... Is in all four, so I think we need to slow down. Last week in the first 14 verses of the feeding of the 5,000, I walked everybody through something that has served me for all 36 years that I've walked with God. That's the law of multiplication. Very important to your life. If you weren't here, you can download the message on the web. If you're kind of going the way of the dinosaur, we have CDs in the bookstore, and you can listen to the message on a CD. Um, Today, we're getting to the heart of what John's talking about. Although all the other gospel writers write about this miracle, only John gives Jesus interpretation. That's what we want to zero in on. Somewhere around verse 35, Jesus is preaching a sermon at Capernaum in the Galilee. And he says to the people, I am the bread of life. Interesting. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, that sounds okay to us, right? We've heard that before, and we're Western, and I'm the bread of life. Uh, This is the first of seven I am statements. I am the door, I'm the great shepherd. We get it, right? But if you lived in that time or you're Eastern, that is really strange. Because to these religious people who had a background in the Old Testament, this goes way back to the book of Exodus, where Moses meets God for the first time by looking at a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed, And God reveals to Moses, he's going to be the deliverer. He's going to take the people out of the greatest superpower in the world, Egypt. And he said, well, God, look, before we get started, I need to know your name. Like, the gods of Egypt have names, and so do the Babylonians and the Assyrians. What is your name? And God said, I am that I am, right? Very technical term. To this day, the Jews, when they read scripture, they don't pronounce, but when they see Lord or I am in Scripture, they don't pronounce it. Now, we put some vowels in there, we make it Yahweh or Jehovah, but it's the unspeakable, unknowable name of God. Basically, it's, I am, I'm the becoming one, I'm becoming all that you need is the idea. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's basically saying, I am God. Anybody who ever comes to you and says, look, Jesus never said he was God, baloney, okay? He said, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead, he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they're like, you came down from heaven? You're Joseph's son. You're a carpenter. You've been in this village your whole life. What are you talking about? So Jesus is getting into some real deep stuff here, and the people are confused, right? Because think about it. Moses was their liberator, and probably the greatest miracle the Jews ever experienced was manna. I know it's not sexy, right? It's not, it's not the seas parting, right? It's not you know, being delivered from a superpower. But I got to tell you, 40 years walking outside and like there's a wafer cookie out there and you eat it and it's good for the day, it's pretty good. I mean, 40 years in a desert, no shopping, no cooking, manna everywhere, right? Pretty impressive. And they're like, our fathers ate the manna. Jesus said, no, no, no. The manna was God's gift. But guess what? That didn't cost God anything. I am now God's gift and it's going to cost him Everything. The bread here is a metaphor. Now it gets a little confusing later, where Jesus says you have to eat my body and drink my blood, and they're like, "What? You know, like cannibalism?" And Jesus says, "No, no. What is flesh is flesh. The spirit is spirit." Guys, this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for life. This is a metaphor for living. So think about it. We're spirits, soul, and body. We need three types of foods. One, we need physical food, right? The body's a machine. This is an engine. Uh, my Jewish guide in Israel, Daniel, who I've known for 21 years, gets up every morning, pours a teaspoon of olive oil on a, table, or a tablespoon or a teaspoon, and it's the first thing that goes into his body. I'm like, Daniel, why do you do that? He said it starts the machine, right? So there's free information for you guys if you want to get healthy. The Jews live long. I mean, they really do. Um, so we need physical food, Right? But then we need spiritual food. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here's one you never hear. The works of God doing, physically doing God's will, Jesus said, is my food. Very important. So we'll talk about all three. Let's start with physical food, right? We are this engine. This is our case, right? Our spirit is in a body suit that needs engine. And I love this metaphor. Guys... We in Philly own this metaphor, the bread of life. No one has better bread than we do, right? So I've traveled, right? And I will admit, humbly, New York and Chicago have better pizza. Wisconsin has the best cheese I've ever had. Arizona and California have the best Mexican. And New England, the best chowda, right? That, that's, that's a given. But we've cornered the market on bread. When we talk about cheesesteaks and hoagies, it's not the meat guys, it's the bread. So I grew up in the Northeast, but my relatives still live in South Philly. so I was there on weekends. Anybody ever hear of Cashi's Bakery, right? So when I was a young kid, you go to Cashi's, all they sold was rolls. I think they have a little pizza now, but 6 in the morning they open, I think even earlier, and when they run out of rolls, the store is closed. They sell nothing else, and you could smell this blocks away. When I was a kid in grade school, just about 10 o'clock, you could smell the pretzels wafting down the hall, right? It was just, it's a, it's a memory. It's a, that's why we have them here, by the way, in the table. <laughs> cheesesteaks and hoagies. Guys, it's the bread. I've shared this probably more often than I should, but again, free information. Uh, the best cheesesteaks and hoagies are not in Philadelphia. Anybody who knows, knows the best cheese steaks and hoagies are at the White House in Atlantic City. Yeah, for those who have been there, Mississippi and Arctic, you gotta make a pilgrimage, the bread stores across the street, they're the best, it's hands down, they are still the best. So we need physical food, right? And here's what I marvel about physical food. You can go out and have the greatest meal you've ever had and 20 minutes later, if you walk by somebody grilling a burger, you could eat again, right? Like, like there's diminishing returns in all we do. Like give somebody something, you get tired of it. We never get tired of food. The second food is spiritual. It's God's word. Again, man doesn't live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds out of the word and the mouths of God. In these encounters that Jesus is having with people like you and me in John's gospel, he brings them all to a point where they're introduced with life with him, life with God. That's that's what we're... That's what this is all about, right? That's what we're driving to. Um, it's pretty amazing that John, at the end of John, says there were many more things Jesus did that if we recorded them it would fill the books of the world. But these I have written, I've selected these signs that you might know Jesus is the Christ and by knowing him have life in his name. So the idea here is that uh, we are introduced to life with God. When somebody becomes a Christian or a follower of Christ or born again whatever terminology you want to use there instantly is this new desire and new appetite that never existed before we pass from the physical into the spiritual Paul uses an analogy in the New Testament it's like taking old clothes and putting them in a pile and putting new clothes on it's maybe why we dress up for Easter I don't know but there's an idea that there's there's a new desire because there's a new man listen how Paul writes to it to the Ephesians He said, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with might through his Spirit. Catch this in the inner man, this new dimension. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, May a- be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which is past his knowledge and all understanding. God wants you to grow. He wants me to grow, and he wants you to come into the knowledge of who he is. He wants you to come into fellowship. So there's this new dimension where no longer are we just physical beings, we are spiritual, and there's new desires. Like, it's like the minute you become a Christian, there's a desire to read God's word. Isn't that strange? Like, if somebody told me to read the Bible when I was a kid, I'm like, uh, could you pluck my nails out first? I mean, like, gosh, that sounds so boring. And there's this new desire to be with God's people and go to church. When I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get out of church, and a lot of times, I went to the Catholic church, I only showed up in the last five minutes to get the bulletin, so I give it to my parents to prove I was there. And they also sold the bulletin, the old newspaper, for those of you who have that memory. So there's... There's this new dimension. New dimension is to pray, to talk to God, which has been new for so many of us. There's a desire to serve, a desire to give. But the ultimate desire is the Word of God. Now, people make three mistakes when they approach the Bible, okay? Three mistakes. And some of this is unwillingly. The first is to read it for information, to read it for quantity. Um, And you know where this goes, right? Now, we need information. But Paul wrote in Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. I've seen this a hundred times. Somebody gets a little bit of knowledge. They find out, well, we were chosen. And they read about Reformed theology. And then, like, 20 minutes later, they're trying to convince everybody of this doctrine. They got a little bit of Bible under their belt. And Paul said, that's not what you're doing. That puffs up. That leads to dissensions. Second mistake people are prone to is... um, Reading the Bible for rules and regulations and formulas. The seven steps to a wonderful marriage, the six secrets to success, eight ways to get rich. You know, I'll attach these biblical principles and things will work out for me. Another mistake is to think if I read the Bible, like I get points with God. Like, God, I read for 20 minutes today. You must be so happy with me. Jesus said to the religious leaders, You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. In other words, Jesus said all of our Bible reading should lead us to communion with him, with life with God, where we begin to hear God's voice and we begin to pray God's prayers. Richard Foster put it more eloquently than I can. He said the Bible presents God's thundering invitation, I am with you, will you be with me? Communion with God, this is what it's all about. So Jesus is our superfood. It's not kale, that'll help you a little bit. Jesus is our superfood. He is the scripture. So when I became a new believer at 21 years old, I had this voracious capacity and want and hunger to read the Bible. This banquet, this buffet of 66 books. And then I developed this... um, appetite for preaching and teaching, just became a connoisseur of great teaching and preaching. And then I love great books. I read a Christian book every single week. And uh, this all helped me grow. And believe it or not, out of all this, the greatest growth happened for me when I became a self-feeder, when I learned to get alone with God and apply the scriptures to my own life. Now, another profound step happened along the way. I found Calvary Chapel Until this time, I was going to churches that I don't know how to label, but they were low-cal, okay? They were serving milk and maybe a little bit of meat. It was low-carb, low-cal, decaffeinated every Sunday. And I get to Calvary and there's a feast. In 10 years, you would go Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse. It was like, wow, someone's teaching the full counsel of the Word of God. And again, grew by leaps and bounds. And so for the 26 years that I've been a pastor, my heart has always been to somehow impart to people, all of you, that if you'll ever trust God at his word and ingest it into your spirit and live it, phenomenal things will happen and you'll grow. Now here's my struggle. Time and time, people will come up to me and thank God for their honesty and they say, Pastor Bob, I love God as much as you do. I'm not lazy, but I don't read. I love the scriptures. I try. I don't read. And they would come up and they would be blatantly honest. They would say, guys like you, you like to read. And you're pastors. You get paid to read. It's different than us. We, we have to read on our own. And so I, w- I would take that information in, and then I would basically come up with these methods that were just labeled try harder. Okay? I would come up with ways where people could try harder. And then I heard something by Dallas Willard, again, revolutionizing. Where Dallas Willard said to be a disciple of Christ, it's not about trying, it's about training. So if we train people, good things can happen. So then I entered the world of the spiritual disciplines. One of them is reading the Bible. And then I taught techniques, right? Taught this wonderful thing from Howard Hendricks on how to read 12 of the most prominent books. Taught about scripture memorization. We had classes. Gave you all out the Gospel of John in this journaling Bible, right? Right? trying to make things easier and easier. And, uh, but everything changed for me when I met Bill Juan at a Ravi Zacharias conference. Bill pioneered the public reading of scripture 10 years ago in New York City. Bill and his family emigrated to the United States, Las Vegas, when he was a teenager. Uh, he went to Carnegie Mellon, on to graduate school. He's now a Wall Street analyst, manages one of the biggest hedge funds in America. He's super rich, by the way. He's a Christ follower, he loves God, he's an analyst. And Bill's story was, he had trouble reading scripture. Now before, when other people told me, I thought, okay, uh, let's try and get over that. When Bill said that, the penny dropped. Wall Street analyst, graduate school, he has trouble reading scripture. He said, Bob, I don't lack for a love of God. I'm not lazy. I lack the strategy. And the one-year Bible doesn't work, and all these programs. I got all the books over here. So he did one of the most spiritual things I ever heard of. He went to (laughs) Amazon.com. And he looked for a Bible app where the Bible would be read to you. Bill began to listen to the Bible. He began to grow. But then he had another revelation. Jesus is the bread of life. Whenever we eat meals, we eat them together, right? Now, we eat alone sometimes, but generally, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, hopefully your families, you're eating a dinner at least three nights a week. We eat in community. Go to restaurants. People don't like to go alone. We eat together. Bill's like, why are we going to church and then all reading the Bible by ourselves? So, again, this was another growing for him. And he launches out on the public reading of Scripture. Now the public reading of scripture gives you some ground rules that Bill practices in New York City and people have adopted around the world. Number 1, you do it in community. So my son Mike was just at the one in Central Park Friday, there were about 40 people gathered there. This one's important. Quality. When Bill told me about the public reading of scripture, I thought, "Oh my gosh, you're going to walk into a room and people are going to go around and read and they're going to stumble and mispronounce all the words like I do." And it's going to be a drag. So what Bill did is he invested over a million dollars and got people like Denzel Washington, Forrest Whitaker, Jim Caviezel to read the scriptures. And then finally at the end you pray and everybody gets about two minutes to say what they learned. Uh, when I heard about this and when I experienced it, it was one of the most profound things I have ever heard of. Now, Bill has, as a practice, in the public reading of scripture, to go through the Bible in one year. I think everybody would like that goal. In January, everybody has that as a goal. You know, in the public reading of scripture, that takes 90 hours, which sounds daunting. Listen, that's less than 25 minutes a day. How many people have ever seen the Bible Project on YouTube? Anybody? This is a wonderful tool, by the way. So these two guys in Portland get together, uh, great animators. And it's deep theologically. And what they do is if you type in uh, the Bible Project John, they have like a five-minute animated video where they'll tell you almost everything about John in a very short time. It's real deep. So when the Bible Project guys found out about the public reading of Scripture, they put together one of their little animated vignettes. So let's watch it and you'll learn more from this vignette than anything I've said so far. So let's, let, let's watch this little vignette.
1: I was reading the Bible, which you know is kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching.
2: Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture.
1: Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get, teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so
2: important? Oh, man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from who they are and the new future that they are called to live for. This was
1: the first public reading of scripture in the Bible.
2: Yeah, and it did not stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story.
1: So this is something they did all the time then?
2: Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we do not have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story and a whole generation arose that did not know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this
1: is a powerful practice.
2: Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogues. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures.
1: Okay, but here's the thing, most people back then didn't know how to read so they had to do it publicly. But I can read the Bible by myself.
2: Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures.
0: Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, so um, I met Bill in Philadelphia for breakfast. His daughter's looking at the University of Pennsylvania. And he said something really profound I hadn't heard him say before, he said, "Bob." Love always starts with listening. When you love someone, it always starts with listening. Think about your first date. Think about when you sit down with the family. Think about when you're not stressed, right? When you're stressed, you know, kids are trying to tell you about their day, you don't want to listen. But think about when you're not stressed. We basically listen, right? That, that, that's what we were designed for. We want to hear stories. We want to hear people's story. We want to listen. So love starts with listening. And how beautiful in this public uh, reading of scripture, that we can listen to the word of God. David said, thy word I've hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Your word is greater than the honeycomb. Think about the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And more. over and over again, we give scripture after scripture. Rowan Williams, who's an Anglican bishop, said this. He said, those of us who assume that the normative image of scrip- scripture reading is the solitary individual poring over a bound volume that's one of the great icons of classical Protestantism may need to be reminded that for most Christians throughout the ages and probably right now at the world the norm has always been listening so the church reads scripture publicly not as information not just for instruction but as a summons to assemble the people together wherever we do whatever we do in private with our reading of scripture We must do an awareness that this is a public activity. So in a couple minutes, we're going to practice the public reading of Scripture. Can I warn you a little bit? You're going to be fidgety, okay? Uh, We live in an age where we're not still for much of the time. We live in an age where we have these things, right? And if you're hearing me and you're not here live, I'm holding an iPhone. This is a wonderful tool. Um, but it has a huge downside, right? You have more power in your pocket or your pocketbook than will put a man on the moon. The problem is you have Netflix, Amazon, ESPN, right? So now when we enter something like this, an ancient practice, you get fidgety, your mind wanders. So just let me help you a little. You know, some of you may, if you're real fidgety, you have to close your eyes, you need to relax. Uh, Make this communion between you and God. You can look around the room at other people, that's why we're here. When we come out of it, I'll make a few closing important points. But for now, together, let's enter in John chapter six to the public reading of scripture.
3: After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother,
4: said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Make the people sit down.
3: Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted.
4: So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with
3: the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, for they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid.
4: His eye. Do not be afraid.
3: Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here?
4: Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. What sign
3: will you perform then that we may see it
1: and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat.
4: Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Lord, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day.
3: The Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and
4: mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, He will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live
3: forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said,
4: This is a hard saying. Who can understand it?
3: When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them,
4: Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were,
3: who did not believe, and who would betray him.
4: Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples
3: went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord. To whom shall we go? You
4: have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil?
3: He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve.
0: So what do you guys think? That was 10 minutes, 10 minutes. It's um, uh, unbelievable. Uh, Think about this. The entire book of Ruth, 18 minutes. Book of Habakkuk, 18 minutes. Think of the implications. Think about this. So um, we're really excited about this. We're going to incorporate it in our Tuesday morning prayer if you guys come out. Uh, We've been in talks with Innovate, our Christian school, J Kids downstairs. John Clifford and I have been talking about small groups. So many times people come to us and say, man, I have a really nice house. I have the gift of hospitality, but we don't have a Bible teacher. Guess what? You can do the public reading of Scripture. The Gospel of Mark, an hour and 40 minutes. But here's what I'm most excited about, families. Families are in a war, right? Families are in a struggle. And, And it's just not now in our culture. It's always been this way. Uh, there's always been an attack on the family. The devil's not stupid. He, he goes at families. And yet the Bible says in Deuteronomy that families gather around, that we should speak of God and his word uh, as we walk in the way, in the marketplace, in the home. Think about families eating dinner, dinner's over, and then you do the public reading of Scripture with your kids. Uh, my kids bring their friends over to hang out, and they just sit around. They have nothing to do. Can you imagine if they did the public reading of Scripture? Uh, Bill does it in New York City with Wall Street analysts three times a week. We're going to find ways to do it here. One of the problems we have is that we live in a world where people outside are practicing graduate-level paganism, and that's what some of us were doing, and we're practicing kindergarten Christianity. We're eating milk. We're, we're on a light diet. Can you imagine if this takes root and we get books of the Bible like, Nahum and Joel and Leviticus and even Revelation under our belt? On the way in, in your bulletin, uh, you receive this. This helps you go down for free and download the app that will give you the entire Bible the way you just heard it. Bill's letting our church do that for free because he wants this to spread. They're doing this in Japanese, Mandarin, uh Spanish might be available by the time we get to Guatemala. We're really excited about that. Uh, Again, you can, on your own, listen to this, but make an attempt to do it in community. The book of Amos says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor of water, but of the hearing of God's word. I think there's a famine in America. I think we can reverse that. I think if we can grasp on to ingesting God's word in this type of quantity in community, uh, this could spark revival. This could spark the leaders that we're looking for, which brings me to my last point. We need physical food. We need spiritual food, God's word. And then there's the works of God. What's the whole goal of this? That God speaks and we would obey, right? Wasn't that what Samuel was told? That eventually you're going to hear God speak and you're going to obey, So I'll read you something we should read from time to time out of the book of James. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, to the Bible, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of that work, this one will be blessed in all that he does. That word blessed means to be over-the-top prosperous, which I think we all would love to see in our lives. If any one of you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans, right, so the word of God takes root, and you see people in need. Visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Guys, as we enter 2020, you're going to hear a lot about the public reading of Scripture. My encouragement is, go home, download the app. pray about ways for you to incorporate this into your community. They're doing it on Wall Street. The conference I was just at had people from Google and Facebook and Silicon Valley. they might start doing it there. You can rent coffee shops. Uh, there's no end to this. I'm excited because I know the power of God's word. I know it's power to change a life. I know it's power to help people grow. I know it's power to turn around communities and spark revival, and I pray you'll join us.